Good morning, Village Church East. It is good to see you this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at, at Village Church East. And uh, I hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Has everybody recovered from Thanksgiving? No. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think they're putting more tryptophan in Turkey these days because I still can't wake up ever since <laughs> Thursday. So uh, we had a great trip. We got to be with our families as well. Uh, which was uh, very, very awesome. Uh, today I get to finish up our study on Abraham, and then next Sunday, like Megan mentioned, we're going to be starting a brand new series on Advent called Blessing. And uh, it's interesting how the promise of Abraham connected to the blessing we see in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's a really unique connection we're going to be making, and I'm anxious to get into it. Uh, but this last message on Abraham is... Uh, powerful, and I've been really anxious to uh, share this with you this morning as well. Also, you know that we have a, a basketball tournament over there, so uh, I appreciate your, uh, your indulgence as they have been a little bit louder than normal on Sunday morning, but we left the doors open so we could try and be louder than they were. So thank you for singing and worshiping loudly this morning. Listen to this. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Defining moments pass us by every single day. They'll deliver a lasting legacy to those who look for them and take advantage of them. But to those who live for pers- uh, to pursue comfort, or passivity, those pivotal moments that God can use in our lives to build character, often slide right by, and we don't take advantage of them like we should. Brian Chesky and Joe Gibbia had a great idea in 2008, but they lacked capital to get their business going. Their idea to build a business uh, was, was pretty radical. Nobody had thought of anything like this before, but they thought they were onto something. So in order to get capital so that they could put their dreams into reality, they decided to take advantage of the 2008 election. Do you remember who was running in 2008? Obama and, uh, we don't remember, do we? McCain. You remember that? So they decided that they would build, a, uh, they, would, they would sell cereal, breakfast cereal, and name it after the two candidates. And they named it, let me get this right, Captain McCain and Obama O's. And they sold these boxes of cereal during the election, and they made $30,000. And with that $30,000, they decided to use that to seed, as seed money, for their greater dream, which, to, which was to build this next business that they began to sink their teeth into. Their next business has grown. And they say by 2020, Fortune.com says that uh, their earnings will likely be, for this brand new business that they started, their likely income in 2020 would be $3.5 billion annually. You all know their business at this point. You've heard of this business before. Do you want to take a guess what it is? Airbnb. And they decided that with the serial drive that they would take the initiative to begin... This would become the seed money that they used to develop this larger business. Selling cereal at the right time began to be a defining moment for these two individuals. Abraham, at this point in his life, has experienced many things, uh, many moments, many defining moments. 
And if you recall correctly, he actually has dropped the ball quite a few times, right? There's been moments that he has let slip by him that God, God gives him opportunities to excel, build a stronger faith, to grow. And each one of these becomes an opportunity that where we see his feet of clay. And we see him drop the ball all too many times. Unknown to him, this final moment would define his faith for all human history to see. And here's the thing. He would be tested beyond what he thought he would be capable of enduring. At this point in his life, he he thought he has given up everything that God has asked him to do. He thought he was beyond, he was advanced enough in age, he was done with all the tests. But God wasn't done with Abraham. God would give him one more test, one more thing. In his entire life, this would become the thing that really would define his future. God would ask Abraham to give up his only son, the thing that he loved most in this life. Abraham had one more test in front of him. And Abraham would finally decide, finally discover, if he has really put in God, if he has really put God first, finally at this point in his life. This would be his defining moment, the hardest point in Abraham's life. He may have become a believer who's lived by faith already. He may have realized all the moments that he's let slip by him. But the moment that would define Abraham's life for the rest of human history would be this moment. And it's spoken of, actually, in James chapter 2 in the New Testament. James uses this as, as an example. We already read from James this morning, but look at this in the next chapter. Do you want to be shown, O you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac up on the altar? So you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. The moment that would solidify Abraham's title as a friend of God came way late in his life after he's dropped the ball numerous times. And Abraham took advantage of this moment, tough as it was, so that his legacy would be carved out for the rest of us to sit in wonder over. Now, I've got to let you know, like Abraham has lost everything at this point. Terah, his father, has died. He thinks Lot is dead. He never comes in contact with Lot again after Sodom is destroyed by God, and it's just a smoldering pile of, of ash. Ishmael and Hagar are gone. You can see all the things that are gone uh, that Abraham has lost already. The only thing Abraham had left to hope in was Isaac at this point. And the question at this point in Abraham's life is, what would Abraham trust in now? Abraham's trusting a lot of different things to get him through, but what would he trust in now? Isaac was finally here. God had promised Isaac to him. And if I were Abraham, I'd probably be sitting back going, okay, it's over. I've been through all the tests. God has proven faithful. I haven't lived up to all the tests like I think I should have. But we're at the end of it all at this point. I'm 114 years old. Isaac is here. I'm good to go. No more tests. He only lives until he's 175 years old. Now, in those days, you lived a little longer. It's not like today. Uh, I don't think anyone here is going to live that long. Maybe... Brent, maybe you might live that long, but I don't think the rest of us will. It's because you take life so casually. Right, Sherry? (laughs) 
God has one more test for Abraham. I got to think that he's probably tired of these faith tests. I mean, how do you get when you get tested over and over and over again? Uh, do, do you go to bed at night thinking to yourself, boy, tomorrow I hope I have a major faith test. You don't do that? You probably go to bed at night going, Lord, thank you for letting me get through the day. Help tomorrow to be a little easier than today, right? Abraham has been through it. Living by faith, leaving Ur of the Chaldees, and losing all these things along the way, negotiating with God over Sodom, and all of the stuff that Abraham has been through. And you've got to think at this point in his life, he's probably thinking, okay, God, I get it. You're God. I'm a loser. I get it. Let's just, you gave me, uh, you gave me Isaac, so let's move on from here. God has the ultimate test still in store. That's why in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1, it starts out this way. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there real quick. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. After these things, church, what is the next three words there? God tested Abraham. Oy. For Abraham, the time is flying by. Between Genesis 21 and 22, there's about 14 years likely. That's why it says, after these things. Isaac has been born. He's probably a young man by now. If you read further in the passage, he's carrying wood. He's going on a journey with his dad. So he's old enough to do... He's not a little kid. He's old enough to do all these things with his dad. He asks reasonable, logical questions. Most, most uh, scholars think that he's about 14 at this point, which means that Abraham is about 114 years old. God has never done testing and growing our faith until we die. Isn't that sad? <laughs> Don't you ever just wake up and go, ah, oh, just a break, just give me a break, just give me a break. That's why we take vacation. <clears throat> James 1.3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces what, church? Steadfastness. You know what steadfastness is? It's right up there. Faithfulness through difficulty and tragedy. When God asks you to do the impossible, to endure the impossible, it is probably a test. Salvation is by, grace through, or by faith through grace. We got that. But strengthening of faith is by testing through endurance. You will not grow in your faith unless you're tested. And you will not grow in your faith unless you endure those tests. That's what James 1.3 says. So back to verse 1 of chapter 22. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Do you get that? Why do you think God pulls it out like this? We're going to read this passage of Scripture, and you're going to find there's a lot of unnecessary detail given to us in this passage of Scripture. But it's not unnecessary. It may seem like it's pedantic, there's a lot of useless, over-exaggerated information, but it's given to us so we, the reader, can appreciate the heart of a father. Abraham is about to take his son, his only son, the son he loves. Everything else in Abraham's life that he loves is gone. Sarah's beyond uh, childbearing years, and so his only hope at this point is not in Ishmael, it's not in Lot, it's not in any of his relatives, it's only in this boy, this Isaac. 
He pinned everything about his future on this son, this only son. He wasn't going to get another one. And he loved this son, this Isaac. This son was a very promise of God. God continues, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Canaanite gods demanded the death of the firstborn child. The reason they did that was because if you sacrificed your child, you could get crops, riches, bigger families, land. There was always a promise given to you if you were willing to sacrifice your firstborn child. However, Abraham was being asked to sacrifice his firstborn child by Yahweh. Now you've got to think, Abraham's probably thinking to himself, wait a minute, this, Yahweh's not like Canaanite gods. Why is he asking me to sacrifice my firstborn? That's what the gods, the false idols of Canaan would demand. Why is God demanding this from me? So I have two ideas. Maybe Abraham might have thought God's erratic. Maybe God doesn't know what he's really doing. Maybe he's changing his mind. Maybe he wants firstborn children from now on. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe this God doesn't really have plans for his future. He's just putting it together as he goes. But likely that's not what Abraham thought because Abraham has been walking with God for at least 30 years at this point. And so he has an idea how God works. I'm guessing this was not what, God, uh, what Abraham is thinking about God. Number two, the other option is Abraham might be thinking God has an incredible plan that would involve him sacrificing the only thing he loved in this world. This is likely what Abraham thought because Abraham knew Yahweh was a God that was a God of tests, a God of stretching, a God of growth. So likely he's thinking to himself, God has something huge in store through this test and he didn't know what it was. Now for us, it's very difficult for us because we look back on this in human history. We know how it turns out. Like maybe you don't, you've never read the story before, you're in for a really amazing story. I wish I'd never heard the story before because hearing the story for the first time is incredible and you'll love it. But if you've heard the story before, you already know how it turns out. Abraham has no idea. Abraham thinks that God is asking for the death of his firstborn and for him to do the deed. He had no idea what God is doing with this test. Now, isn't that just like us? We know some things about God. We hold them dear in our hearts. We take them to the bank. We know who God is and how God operates and the promises that he gives. We know God. But when he brings a test into our lives and we don't know what he's doing, how many times do we often go, what in the world is this all about? Right? I thought we had this all worked out already. Didn't we just do this once? You know, didn't we just work through this? Didn't I show that I'm already strong in this area and I can handle it? Why are we going through the same test again? Different faces, different environment, different surroundings, same test. Why all over again? Abraham is in that boat. He knows some things about God, but he doesn't know why God is asking this from him. He only knows that he has to go follow through. Didn't make sense. It wasn't reasonable. It would put his entire life at risk. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to live with yourself after you killed your only son that you loved? I can't imagine what's going through his mind at this point, but it's nothing good. This would have definitely delivered a great deal of pain and suffering, no matter how it all comes out. Abraham is being asked to sacrifice his only son. 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 So my question to you is this. 
Would Abraham struggle with this kind of faith? The Abraham that we know would, right? Would struggle with this kind of faith. Remember the Abraham we know? He, he negotiated with God over Sodom. God, you want to destroy Sodom? Why would a righteous God destroy an entire city? Let's negotiate. So he negotiates. Let's say there's 50 people down there. You wouldn't destroy a whole city if there's 50 righteous people in the city. God says, okay, find 50. And he's thinking to himself, ah, one. All right, what if there's 45? Okay, I won't destroy it if there's 45. And we have negotiating Abraham, negotiating over a city until he gets down to 10 and realizes there's not even 10 righteous in this city. Corrupt. The city that Sodom was. Or would he laugh at God? Remember when Abraham laughed? Sarah did the same thing. When God promised him a son in his old age. Abraham laughed and so did Sarah. Would this be the Abraham that we know? Or would he abandon God's promise? Do you remember when he got to the promised land and there was a famine? God said, okay, now stay in the land. This is where I want this. This is the promise to you. Enjoy. And there's a famine, so what does he do? Goes down to Egypt. Would he abandon God's... Or would he manipulate what God told him to do? Remember, he did this a couple of times. King of Egypt, King Abimelech. You remember Abimelech? Pig King Abimelech, you remember that? He decides that instead of losing his life, he'll negotiate using his own wife as leverage. And he lies about her, says she's his sister. That's the Abraham we have known and loved. What would he do here? When God asked him for his son, the only son, the son he loved, would Abraham finally live by faith? Just do what God asked him to do. Or would we see a rise of the old Abraham? Verse 3. So Abraham rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Again, readers, we are meant to see the agony of a father here. This is two verses of useless information. I mean, why do we have all this information? Think about it. So all we need is two words. Abraham went. That's all we need. But we have all this information He rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. Two of his men, young young men, went with him. He cut the wood. He went to the place God told him to go. You know why we have all this information? We are meant to go through the excruciating details because Abraham had to go through the excruciating details. We are meant to feel the heart of a father about to give up everything he has hoped for, everything he hopes in. Three days. Why did God make him walk three days? backyard would be fine. Why three days? Why not just say, okay, Abraham, go to the backyard. I want you to do a little little test. Go through a little test with me. But instead, God has him walk three days. Abraham knows what's coming. Can you imagine going to bed on day number one? Think to yourself, I got two more days of this. You're going to walk beside the only thing you value in life. He's going to be asking you questions. You're going to be answering him. You're going to have a father-son relationship for the first day. And then you go to sleep at night knowing what's going to come. Two more days. You wake up early in the morning the next day. You have breakfast together with the son you love. You walk again an entire day. You camp knowing that's day number two. 
You wake up the next morning. You do it all over again. Can you imagine the excruciating pain that Abram would have to go through every single day? John Calvin says this, God does not require him to put his son immediately to death, but compels him to revolve this execution in his mind during three whole days, that in preparing to sacrifice his son, he he may still more severely torture all his own senses. That's the test. The test is Isaac on the altar. That's, that's a, that's, but that's the climax. The test is the journey. Don't you wish you'd just get into a test and out of a test as fastly as possible, fast as possible? Shannon goes to Moody. I bet you'd think every test should be like that, right? Go in there, answer the questions, and move on. How'd you like the test to last for three days? Nasty, right? Who likes a test that lasts three days? Verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife. So both of them went on together, likely at the dark, foreshadowing. If you haven't caught it, by the way, if you haven't caught it, Isaac is a picture of Jesus here. Who's carrying the wood? Not Abraham. Who's carrying the wood? Isaac. Isaac. And who carried the wood to the place of suffering and sacrifice? Jesus did. Even in the Jewish Midrash, by the way, the Jewish Midrash does not promote Jesus as the Messiah. But even the Jewish Midrash sees this. It says, those who don't believe in Jesus likens this Isaac carrying his own cross to Jesus carrying his own cross. It's a blatant picture. Verse 7. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So both of them went on together. And you have more details. Details of of a conversation that would break the heart of a dad. The examples continue, but by the way, between Isaac and Christ. Isaac calls Abraham, my father. Jesus on the cross uses the same words, right? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaac cries out to Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. God the Father turns his back on his son. And the, the examples are blatant between Isaac and Abraham and Jesus and his father. We are meant to see the heart of a father 1,400 years into the future where God sacrificed, the father sacrifices his only son. Verse 9. When they came to the place where God had told them, Abraham built there the altar and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham follows God's commands to the letter. He goes right to where God told him. He constructs the altar. This would have taken a great deal of time. Bring over the stones, put the stones together. He built the altar. He laid together the wood. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on top of the altar. He laid him on top of the wood. Every detail is painful, time-consuming, laborious, so that we can see the excruciating pain Abraham must have been enduring. And there's one other thing. Isaac lets him. Does that not shock you? 
Isaac is likely 14 years old. Let's say, let's say Abraham's 114 at this time, all right? And this is guesstimating, but it's somewhere around there. How many 14-year-olds could take a 114-year-old man? Most of the ones I know could. Yet both of them, not just Abraham, both of them were faithful to what God was requiring from both of them. God assigned to them both a task, and both of them followed through. And we are meant to see the difference between the heart of a prodigal son who would demand money from his parents and literally drag their name through the dirt, and the heart of a trusting Isaac who has learned to mirror the faith he has seen in his father's heart, even to the point of laying his own life down, if that's what Abraham required. Verse 10. Then Abraham, more details, reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And the climactic defining moment is here. Tens of thousands of fathers would sacrifice their sons to false gods in Canaan to get more something for themselves, more land, uh, more, more riches, more wealth, more children. Kids were being sacrificed left and right in Canaan so that the family could benefit. But in this case, it's not like that at all. Abraham's sacrifice is out of complete trust in God and absolute love for his son. You, the reader, are meant to watch this event unravel with a broken heart, empathizing with Father Abraham, feeling the tension between absolute faith and personal loss. And in the greatest moment, God comes through. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Do you think God didn't know what Abraham would do? What do you think? God knew what Abraham would do, right? Do you think Abraham knew what Abraham would do? Probably not. Not till he went through the test. Not till he found out if he could be stretched that far. Not until he had a moment to say, I believe God, and to prove that he did believe God. Abraham always believed in his mind. Now he gets to demonstrate this real time to find out if he really did. Faith is always theoretical until it's tested. I mean, I'd like to say that I would lay down my life for my wife. Hopefully, I'll never get that opportunity, right? But I'd like to think that I would. And I'd like to brag that I would. And I'll brag to all of you that I probably would. But I won't really know until I get it. And this is another thing. Was every time I preach in these messages on Sunday, God gives me an opportunity to put it into practice. So maybe that'll come true. I don't know about this, this, this week if it will. But uh, we think we're faithful. We never really find out how faithful we are until we have a defining moment. Faith is never defined when we ponder over God's gracious provisions from our comfortable perch. Faith is only defined when we get to put it into practice. You can say that you're forgiving, but you'll never get a chance to find out until you forgive. You can say you're patient, but you'll never get a chance to find out until you have kids, uh, until, you, until you get a chance to see if you're patient. You, get, you can say that you are faithful as a husband or as a wife, but you'll never get a chance to prove it until you're tempted to go the other direction. 
You can say theoretically that you are a faithful individual. God will give you an opportunity to put that into practice so that you know whether you are indeed faithful. Faith is tested when we go through the tough times of life. You want to know why life is hard? So you can grow. So your faith can be stretched. You'll find out if you're indeed faithful when you're tempted to choose God or yourself. Faith is really easy when you're in church. (laughs) Faith is hard when you walk through those doors. God makes no effort to hide why he's testing Abraham. It's very interesting to me. God reveals to Abraham why he's gone through all of this. God says to Abraham, Now I know you fear God. Wouldn't you love someday to stand in front of God and God to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't those be great words to hear? You'll never hear them unless you continue in faith, unless you persevere. And God will give you lots of opportunities to demonstrate faith. (laughs) Also, it demonstrates Yahweh's heart. He's not like the foreign Canaanite gods. He always does what's best for us. By the way, angel of the Lord showing up here. We have this constant angel of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. This seems to be a pre-incarnate Christ. I think, I think Abraham was blessed to see Jesus in, in a form in this, in this situation. Stops his hand. Verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Four best words ever, instead of a son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Something beautiful has happened to Abraham's heart. No more negotiating with God. No more doubting. No more figuring things out to figure out a plan of escape. No more running away from difficult spots. The man of faith has finally emerged when it counted the most. And he renamed the name of the place from Moriah, which means land of vision in Hebrew, to Ra'ah, which means God, our provider, or God will provide. And 1,400 years later, God did provide another son. And in that case, the father would not step in and rescue. That son would be extinguished, would die for the sins of the world. And that son would provide a way for the rest of us to be rescued so that we don't suffer separation from our Father. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, again we hear, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham's defining moment. No matter how many times he's failed in the past, at 114 years old, Abraham's defining act finally takes place. We will remember Abraham for this act for all the rest of human history. So what? What does this matter for us today? There's three things I'd like to bring out to you that you can maybe package up, put in your brain, and take home. Number one, God will often test me so I can realize how tightly my fists are closing over time. 
Do you know why you hold your hands up when somebody says, stick them up? Not only are you obeying, but do you know why you hold your hands up if somebody puts a gun in your face? Why is that your first reaction? Ever think about that? Because I see it in all the Westerns. I figure it's the right thing to do. Why don't you just put your hands in your pockets? Would that go well for you? Stick them up. Mm. No, why? You put your hands up in the air so that the guy that's holding you up can see what? Nothing there. You got nothing that you're hiding. Do you know why we shake hands? It comes from the Middle Ages. Do you know why we shake hands? We shake hands because we're demonstrating to the other person there's no weapon in my hand. We can be friends. We can, we can be in agreement. Those are great illustrations for us to remember that when God requires faith from us, it usually means He requires us to hang on to things loosely. Hang on to stuff loosely. We think to ourselves, if we hang on tightly, we won't lose anything. Everything will go well. And I'm sure as a father, that's probably what Abraham thought too. He could have talked to God and said, God, you promised Abraham to me. I'm going to hang on to this thing. I'm going to protect my son. I'm going to give my life for my son. Nothing's going to harm this son. I'm going to put him in a cave. I'm going to guard him for all of human history. I'm only going to give him the best, the best girl as his wife so that he can have the best children so that my seed can continue and the promise can come true. I will protect him, God, because he is the promise you have given to me. But God says, nope, even Isaac, I want back. Hang on to stuff loosely. Jesus reiterates it in the New Testament when he says in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not, what is the next word, church? Does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You mean to tell me that we have to hate our fathers and our mothers and our brothers and our sisters and our wives and our husbands, are we supposed to hate? No, 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 that's not the point. The point is, hang on to stuff loosely. Because whatever you have, God has given to you, and he might require it back in a moment's notice. And if your faith is so fragile that when he takes it back, you lose faith, you don't have a deep faith at all. When God gives you stuff, he doesn't give it to you so that you can protect it, hold on to it. He, you can enjoy it. You should protect it. But if he requires it back, it shouldn't put your faith in jeopardy. That's the story of Isaac and Abraham. This is not hate like the world defines it. This is hate in comparison to our love for God. God demands the first love from me. God demands the first love that I have. In fact, Jesus said it. What is the greatest command of all? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength. There's no room for anything else. If you put anything else on the level that God's supposed to have in your life, when you lose it, you'll lose faith. Our actions to surrender the things that God requires demonstrates the level of faith knowing that God will provide it may not come through the provision that we think it should be. It may not happen in the avenue we think it should. In Hebrews 11, verse 17, I want to read this to you because Abraham thought his entire future was wrapped up in Isaac. Hebrews 11, uh, verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be, be, be named. 
Abraham was a point of crisis. He was thinking to himself, if, if this son, who has not born any children yet, dies, I don't get any offspring through this son. Yet God requires this son now. That doesn't make sense. But I'm not going to question God. I've moved beyond that Abraham. I will do what God requires, and God will provide. And you know what the next verse says? This blows me away. Verse 19 of Hebrews 11. He considered that God was able to even raise Isaac from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham actually believed if he killed Isaac, God would just raise him from the dead. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a crazy amount of faith? God asked me to do it. I'm going to do it. 14 years, Abraham, what's happened to you in the last 14 years? Because it's not the Abraham we know. This Abraham is different. And this is the Abraham that rubbed off on his son. Isaac grew up with that 14 years of growing, strengthening faith. And when Abraham told Isaac, let me just bind you up, throw you up on the altar here. We're going to light you up, see what happens. Isaac said, you know what? That sounds like something my dad would do. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Crazy. Crazy faith, right? Abraham believed so much in God that God would provide this crazy miracle because God would fulfill his promise. Number two, God used this moment as one of the most pivotal moments in history to to point the world to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. This story is meant to drive our hearts to understand the heart of a father that would sacrifice his son on the cross at Calvary. Abraham's struggle with sacrificing his only son is meant to be a minute smudge for us of the depth of despair the father went through as his son bore the sins of the world on his shoulders. And God used this moment to define Abraham's legacy. Could Abraham's demonstrated faith in this test become the tool that points the world to the cross? Could Abraham follow through to demonstrate the heart that would look like the heart of God the Father when he sacrificed his only son? Because God wanted this thing, this moment, for the rest of us to see the heart of a father that breaks over the death of his son, his only son, the son who he loves. Do you know where Mount Moriah is? Mount Moriah is where we call today, well, this is where Solomon built his temple. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of sacrifices sacrifices would happen at this place through all of Jewish history for the next 1,400 years. Today, this is Mount Moriah. This is where, this is 37 acres, square acres of hotly contested land. The most expensive plot of real estate in human history. People have died and bled over this area of land. This is where the Temple of the Mount uh, is today. This is where the Temple uh, Mount was in Jesus' day, where where, uh, uh, Satan uh, tempted him to jump off. This is the place where we believe Abraham sacrificed Isaac on the altar. And it wasn't far from this place where God would sacrifice his only son. Within walking distance of this place, this temple mount, is where Jesus would be sacrificed for our sins. God would sacrifice his own son, his only son, the son he loved. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his 
only Son, the Son He loves, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Abraham did what he was required to do so that we could understand a little bit of what the heart of a father was when God the Father gave His Son so that we could be saved. And number three, my legacy is not final until I, uh, as long as I have breath in my lungs. So if you're here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, Craig, I drop the ball all the time. I try to live by faith, and man, I, I, I've stopped praying for patience because I cannot win that one. I've stopped asking God for forgiveness because I have a hard time forgiving other people. It's kind of like we abandon these opportunities to exhibit faith because we keep failing ourselves. But the message of Scripture is this. It doesn't matter how many times you failed. As long as you still have breath in your lungs, you can exhibit faith if you ask for God's help. In and of ourselves, we're not capable of this. Abraham is not capable of doing what he did. God gave him the strength to do it. And if you want faith to get through life, in all the tests that God gives you, God will give you the faith required to get through it as well. By the way, it doesn't have to be the faith of a red tree. It has to be the faith of a mustard seed. Real faith, in order to be real faith, must be lived out in real time, or it's simply not faith at all. So remember, it's never too late to start living by faith. If you think to yourself, Craig, I keep dropping the ball. Don't give up. Abraham was 114 before he got it right. Don't wait that long, though, all right? He was called by God 30 years prior, but his defining moment encourages us to keep faithful ourselves. So the great news is this. My legacy does not need to be defined by my failure, but by my faith. And this is the faith that Abraham passes on to Isaac. And this is the faith I think we would love to pass on to the next generation as well. Didn't Isaac become an amazing example of the faith of his dad? Oh, that our kids would turn out that well, or our neighbors, or that they would see that kind of faith in us, or the people across the hall. Faith is never faith until it's put into an opportunity to be demonstrated. So... If you feel like you keep failing at this thing, don't get discouraged. God's not done with you yet. Get up, confess, ask him for strength, and he'll give it to you. Remember, all the disciples heard from Jesus that same speech over and over and over again. He gives them a storm. They get all scared. God cal- Jesus calms the storm, and then he says, O ye of little faith. And then they see a miracle, and they get all amazed. And he says to them, O ye of little faith. But it was those disciples that turned the world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ, because they learned by what they saw. Let's leave behind an amazing legacy of faith. Isaac was an amazing man, because what he saw in his dad had been forged and tested and pulled like taffy over time, and Abraham past when it counted the most. Let's pray. So Father, we come to the end of our uh, time studying Abraham, and it's been a blessing to see how the man of faith emerges through tests. Many of them he didn't pass. Many of them we screamed at him. We said, Abraham, not again. Don't fail again. But you keep, gave, you keep giving him tests, and 
He pulls through when he needed to the most. Giving us an amazing example of Jesus Christ and the heart of a father. I pray, Lord, that we would be people of faith. Teach us how to be people of faith. Teach us not to be discouraged when we drop the ball, but to press on knowing that you'll give us another opportunity, knowing that faith comes from you. Help us to be humble enough to ask for faith, more faith. Instead of the, the, instead of the testing, instead of praying to get through the tests, give us faith in the tests so that we can trust you more. Help us not to doubt you don't know what you're doing. Help us to know you know exactly what you're doing. And help us always to be grateful in all circumstances because you use us as ambassadors in a fallen world. Increase our faith so that we can be better lights to those around us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.